Welcome to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I'm your host, Philip A. Jones. Today we have a great show with a brother who spent 16 years of a life sentence in the Maryland Correctional System. While in prison, he earned his high school diploma. He graduated from all the vocational shop. He earned an Associates of Arts in Sociology. He also taught himself to speak and write in several foreign languages. And while still inside, he became a mentor. He started a career center and a book club. I first learned about him after reading his powerful book, The Master Plan, where he detailed his journey from a life in prison to a life of purpose. Since his return from the belly of the beast, the brother has been busy building networks and creating opportunities for those still inside as well as those returning to society. We want to welcome to the show the brother Chris Wilson. Thank you, brother, for coming through. How you been doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. I'm enjoying life. It's good to be here. We're going to get straight to it. we got a lot of questions for you, and I know the listeners can't wait to hear. Tell us where you're from and a little bit about your background. I'm originally from Washington, D.C. Uh, I uh, grew up during the late 80s, early 90s when it was very violent. It was a very different D.C. back then. So I grew up with my mom uh, raising me and four other siblings. Eventually, at some point, you know, I ended up in prison. And, you know, when I got out of prison, I moved to Baltimore. You know, I already know the struggle is real. Um, I read your book, The Master Plan, which it was a thorough read, and I enjoyed it very much. When did you write the book, and what inspired you to tell your story? I wanted to write the book, and I first went into prison. I had two years in on a life sentence. I think I was, at the time, 19 years old. And I hadn't done anything positive with my life. And I started to write at this master plan, which is essentially like a bucket list of things that I wanted to do, things I wanted to learn, places I wanted to visit. And so that kind of became my, my roadmap to my transformation, uh, turning my life around. And I wanted to be able to write a book and, you know, share all the things that I've been through, how a person like me ends up in prison, and then what are some things that I've learned to turn my life around and help other people do the same thing. And then also proving that I can get outside of prison, stay out, and do all the things I said I'd do. And in my mind, I was like, that would be a really great book. Indeed, it was a great book. I found myself trying to put together my master plan. As you know, I'm from the Maryland system, and I've been down going on 32 years. Um, but it ain't about me today. Uh, I just want you to know I understand where you were at, and I know exactly what kind of system that was. I see uh, that you're from B.C. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. What was you saying? Yeah, I'm from, I'm from D.C. originally, born and raised in D.C., yeah. So what made you want to reside in Baltimore City after you released from prison? <laughs> I get asked this a lot. Well, so I, I grew up in prison in, in Maryland. I was at such an institution. And usually, like, when you go in, especially uh, a young man when you go into prison from D.C. and young young people from Baltimore, they usually don't get along. There was so fuse and stuff, like, originally uh, when I first went in. But a after growing up in prison and doing time around people from D.C. and Baltimore, I just developed relationships with people from all over the state. And it was just, you know, it was stand-up people and it's people that's just, like, not walking a straight line. And so I'm messed with a lot of people from Baltimore and they always told me you always got a home in Baltimore you come through like we don't like DC dudes but like you know you can come through we get your pass uh he thought it was funny but like it, it was it was the truth and so when I got back out and I went to DC it was just so expensive you know everything had changed all my neighborhoods have been uh gentrified and it was you know it was expensive and so I said well I'm gonna go back to school so I moved to Baltimore that's what's up it's crazy okay. as you was talking I was reliving everything because you know I I started out in ECI, then I went to the Maryland Penitentiary, and then when they shut down the Maryland Penitentiary, I went to what's called JCI now. It was the annex. But what you say about the D.C. Baltimore thing, 
you know, it's always going to be people who mess regardless of where they're from. But it was always that little tension and always some things going on on the yard, you know, dealing with the two uh, different geographical locations. So I was just smiling a little bit because I knew what you were saying was real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> what is the Barclay Investment Corporation, brother? Because I know a lot of people are going to want to know about that. Yeah, so when I got out of prison and I moved to Baltimore, and I eventually started a contracting company in the Barclay neighborhood, right off of North Avenue in Greenmount. I was mm-hmm. organizing work in that neighborhood, uh, working on my days off, working in real estate development. And I found it frustrating that it was so many people, men and women, that needed jobs that people wouldn't hire them because of mistakes they may have made in the past. Someone had a drug conviction six years ago but was showing up every day in my office to get a job, they wouldn't hire them. So out of frustration, I started a contracting company. I can keep people employed. And so I grew really fast up to like 23 employees in six months. And so contracting work, demolition, construction, build-out, uh, cat stuck in the tree. You know, we, we come get the cat out of the tree. We just send your invoice afterwards. And so that's what we, we were doing. Uh, and it's been around uh, for about eight years. But I actually shut down Barclay Investment Corporation in 2021. So that's good to know. Well, I know you got some whole bunch of other things that you've been doing, and I see you've been evolving um, since you've been out there really putting the pieces to the puzzle together. Tell us about the House of Da Vinci. You know, yeah. I would love to learn more about that myself. Sure. So I have this <laughs> kind of this uh, creative, uh, I don't know, urge to make stuff, and I learned how to make furniture when I was in prison working in the shop and learn how to sew and, and work with uh, carpentry uh, machines. And so another thing, when I came home, when I was in business school, I started uh, House of the Vinci. I started restoring furniture, started uh, mm-hmm. building furniture, uh, designing lobbies for four seasons and doing work for celebrities. And so it's something I really, really enjoy doing. Uh, is designing and making furniture. And I'm a big fan of, of Da Vinci, too. I mean, he pushed himself to the limit of, like, things that he can learn and, and was genuinely curious about science and, and life. And you know, I resonate with that. Most definitely. He was much more than just a painter. You know what I mean? He had vision. He was doing major things as well. I, I see why you chose that name. And what can you tell us about your master plan production? Yes. I am a very, I'm a film buff, so I really love film. I love telling stories through film. I like watching films and critiquing films. You know, I started getting into storytelling, whether that was public speaking and doing short films. And a lot of my short films are about my most recent one, uh, titled The Box, and it's about the time I spent in solitary confinement. And, you know, we interviewed and recreated some scenarios with people who have been in solitary confinement, and we've been using these videos as tools to uh, get legislation passed on the outside. I think film is a powerful medium uh, to make a difference in the world, and if you do it right, like these stories, people never forget them. And so I want to continue to do things through my company. I like that. Hey, one of our team uh, members was saying something about how people are more visual when they go to uh, YouTube and so forth. They like to see the content versus just hearing the audio. And so when you talked about uh, master plan productions and how, you know what I mean, you like to tell stories, that resonated with me, um, especially when you're talking about uh, stories such as ours, uh, because they inspire a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. So how were you able to do so much, and what drove you to accomplish so much? So I'm going to answer the second question first. Mm-hmm. Those was a combination of things. My mom instilled in me a certain type of work ethic. My grandfather pressured me to find my purpose in life. Uh, I unfortunately went to prison, and I was told, you know, often that 
and my life, my place was in prison, and that even if I ever got out of prison, I would be lucky if I got a job at a gas station and, you know, just treated really bad most of the time. And I had this anger in me where I wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to pay them back by being successful. And so that has started driving me to really work hard and study so that I could show them. And it was like stuff I, I wanted. I wrote my master plan when I was young. I wanted a nice car. I wanted to go on vacation and eat good food. But this is a, these are things that everyone wants. And so the first question of how I was able to do it is I understood the, the value in creating positive relationships with people, uh, the value in reading and uh, absorbing knowledge and education, and uh, being willing to work hard and being willing to have patience and wait. I waited a long time, but I knew when my moment came, I would be ready. Man, that's dope, man. I like that. No, there was something that I read in your book and I took away is that even though you was in that environment and you know how our system is, yes. you were able to stay focused even though you had life. It's like you thought, I'm going to be prepared for when these doors open. You did it like me. I'm going to just keep it 100. They gave me that life sentence, and I lived like that because I didn't think I was getting out. And they say that you must see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you've got to think that tomorrow is my day. you always got to be thinking like that and don't live like your circumstance. So I ain't even asked the next question because you might want to feed on that uh, before I go to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean absolutely. I, I grew up playing chess competitively as as a child, 10, 12 years old, and I was competing against grown men playing chess. What what I've learned is how to think, you know, three, four moves ahead and understanding cross consequences for decisions. And in the game of chess, I mean, you, you come into the game knowing that you've sacrificed some of your ball, but the end game is, you know, to uh, achieve your objective. And so while in prison, and all the stuff that was going on, gang gang wars and lockdowns and surprise shakedowns and power being cut off. You know, I kept thinking about my end game and getting my freedom or having an opportunity to get back in court to argue why, you know, why I deserve a second chance. And so I would constantly think about that. You know, people would say, oh, you know how to count cards. Why don't you be my partner in poker? Like, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. And so I would think about a lot of these decisions. I make and I operate like that today. I think about if I do this, this will happen. And I realized while I was in prison that 85% of the time, I put myself in situations to get in trouble. And so I just started nipping nothing. But I would be nice and polite. I would mind my business. I would just study and then work out and read books. Hey, man, uh, that brings me to uh, what something you just mentioned. There was something you used to say, which I read in your book, that I thought was profound because it caused people to pause for a second before making rash decisions, impulsive decisions that may cost them everything in the end. Uh, you used to say, what's your end game? So I wanted you to tell us more about that concept. And over the years, when you would tell that to someone, how did it impact or change their decisions and, or their choices? I'm glad you asked me that question. I, I think about this literally every day. I was just uh, on a call with a brother and I mean, it's a question I think we all got to ask ourselves because this should guide every decision that you make. This could be an argument or something that happened. You know, I, I was just driving and some dude, you know, cussed me out. And like, I wasn't moving fast enough for him. And I just thought about, like, my end game. Like, I'm, I'm working. Once you know or start to think about person that you know you are or want to become, what does that look like? Those are the questions I would ask. I ask in the book. It's like, do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Do you see yourself as, like, a, a scientist or a lawyer or whatever it is that you want to do with your life? And then you work backwards. You say, all right, if this is the person, in my case, it was I want to be a successful entrepreneur that can travel, that has, you know, some cool cars, that owns, you know, owns his house. 
And so I started working back. I need to go to college. I need to work in this job. I need to build up my credit. I need to do all these things. And it just gave my life more purpose. And, you know, and finally, I'm always asking people, you know, when I go into the prison about, like, what's your end game? Because I want us to be thinking about it. Oftentimes, we make these snap decisions because we're angry or we got something else that's bothering us. And we make decisions that may cost us a few decades of our lives. But if we only keep in mind what our end game is, I think our decision making will be different. For sure. And that's and that's it right there, man. I hope y'all heard that, man, because it applies to us in the, the inside world as well as those on the outside. Like when you was um hearing this uh guy and I guess he had road rage. Most people just jump straight to it and they start, you know, getting with the business and like you know, confronting. Instead you think right. I got too much to lose and this fool don't even know what he's saying. So I'm going to go ahead and let that slide because I don't know him. He don't know me. I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? So you also, if I'm not mistaken, never caught a ticket in the whole 16 years of your sentence. How were you able to do this? Because you and I both know this is not easy, uh, especially in the prison system we was in. I'm going to look at it differently. So I, I, w- I was going to say that, uh, you know, it was because I was thinking about the end game, but it was more complicated than that. And mm-hmm. I think... Prison, and this was around the time, uh, I think these books are probably, like, banned, but just, like, 48 Laws of Power, 30 Strategies of War, like, all this, the sons do, all that stuff was, you know, circulated to the prisons, and some people were, were reading these things. Uh, but, like, I was reading books about human behavior and people because I needed to, and this was critical because I wanted, I wanted to have a good track record, and I wanted to get out of prison, but I also didn't want to, you know, I didn't want nobody disrespecting me. And, and doing stuff to me. And so I had to think differently and move differently. And I started realizing that my circle, who I surround myself with, was important. Uh, who had 60 seconds remaining. And if you hang out with knuckleheads and, and you know, uh, correctional officers see you, uh, th- 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 that's your crew. Then, like, when shakedowns come, they shaking your cell down, too, along with them. Because mm-hmm. y'all together. And mm-hmm. so I started being very careful of who I surrounded myself with. And I, and I realized that I was putting myself in situations to get in trouble, and I wouldn't be the person that's cussing some CEO out. I, was, I wouldn't be the person that if someone stepped on my shoe, I would call them out their name. Like you I, have I 30 seconds remaining. A person that stayed low-key, that mind my business, and just and didn't work my master plan. That's all I was doing every day. And I'm not saying it was easy, but like that's, that's how I survived it. We're going to pick it up on the other side. I'll be right back with the next question. Thank you, brother. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, Behind and Beyond. I'm going to go back and pick up where we left off, but I wanted to say this. I'm a champion and a proponent of mental health uh, because I understand not just people that did a lot of time, but anybody who's been behind these walls. Um, incarcerated for any period of time, uh, sometimes there's, you know, issues, you know, whether it be stress, uh, irritation, anxiety, depression, any of that. And so I'm a big proponent for mental health. 
And so I wanted to ask you, what did you do to keep your mental health in check for all that time? And what do you suggest for those men and women like myself who are still behind the wall? So I think this is a really, really important uh, question, not just for people incarcerated, uh, but especially for people, men and women, who grow up in challenging neighborhoods. And I'm speaking specifically about, like, trauma and PTSD and gun violence. That's how I grew up. I was fortunate to, to be at Patuxent where therapy was mandatory and a part of my program. And so I was able to participate in therapy over uh, my incarceration. I will say, though, that I didn't really open up to therapy for, like, a few years. So it took me, like, two or three years to be honest and start talking. And once I did that, other people in the group, we started opening up, so we were able to have... Uh, real conversations and unpack real issues. And it's one of those things, too, where I, I learned, it was one of the most important things I learned while in therapy and, and, and working towards improving my mental health is that hurt people hurt people. You know, I, I was hesitant to talk about all the things that I've been through, being kidnapped and watching my mom be raped in front of me and lose a bunch of friends. And I was just like, I don't want to talk about painful stuff like that because people are not going to feel it. Like, this, this, and then... When I was able to do it, I realized, you know, other people started stepping up and people lost their moms finally and all this stuff happening. And, you know, it came to a point of, like, how do we heal? And, you know, that's one of the questions I asked myself and I asked uh, other uh, brothers and sisters, like, you got to, we have to figure out how we can heal and move forward. Man, that was a powerful statement. Um People put a stigma on mental health, and a lot of times it only takes one brother to open up before others will open up because we don't want to feel like, you know, we're being emotional or weak. To be honest, you know, I was the same way. It took me a minute to understand that um, I was dealing with issues that I didn't understand the root of. And so I started delving into it even more, and now I feel like, you know, everybody needs uh, mental health therapy. Everybody needs to attend to these issues because once you get to the root of those, you'll find that that's the cause of most of the problems that you had or most of the uh, challenges that you had to face uh, throughout your life. Yeah, you, you're right. I, I agree with you. And I think, it's, I think it's really, really important that the, the source of that message is, is credible. And, you know, I'll use you for an example. Like that, that hits when it comes from this point, when it comes from you and you talking to some young brother who came from where you came from, and it's important for him to hear that. Like, I have a lot of conversations like this with people, and it's like, dude, like, I, I really understand what, you, what you're going through, but when it comes from you, like, it just, it just hits different. Like, they ain't come from my neighborhood. They ain't know what it was like to go to bed hungry and, and, and got to be trapped all the time. And, you know, when people that I know that been through it and they, they saying those truths uh, like this and sharing their wisdom, like, I, I listen, and, and I hope other people will listen to the, to the OGs that, that uh, break it down that way. Hey, man, most definitely, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to say one more thing on that because it is an important subject. Um, I know what you mean when you say uh, the trauma of gun violence. You know, I lost two brothers since I've been incarcerated. Um, they were both shot and killed um, in Baltimore City. And I talk about it often because it's going to be a part of a book that I'm writing, too, about my city. But that pain, the the the, uh, the grief, uh, it basically it, it reorganized and changed the way the way I thought. It, it transformed something in me. Um, I could literally feel my disposition switch. And so we know uh, that that kind of trauma is real. It's not just something that people are just talking about. It really transforms you in major ways, both physically and, and emotionally. Absolutely. Okay, my brother. So we're almost there. I want to know. 
from you. What is your vision going forward, and what are you currently building and working on now? Uh, love it, I love it. I mean, so I spend majority of my time as a visual artist. Uh, it's something that I didn't plan to become, but I've been painting for eight years now, and I found uh, a powerful medium to tell stories, to be an advocate, to educate, also to outrage. And I've been using my proceeds because I, I feel like I've been relatively successful in this space. I've been using my proceeds uh, to uh, fund programs uh, through my foundation, the Chris Wilson Foundation, which has been around for about three years now. And I want to, like, you know, I put in a lot of work on the ground and mentoring uh, people. I you know, spent a significant amount of time in prison. You know, my goal now is to support the people that's doing the work still. You know, my job now is to document. I'm the storyteller. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the witness who is witnessing, like, injustices in society and telling people what's happening about, you know, overpriced phone calls or, you know, racist, uh, red line policies and communities. I want to do stuff like that. I want to live a beautiful life. I want to help people embrace the power of education and financial literacy and, and, and be dope, you know, particularly for people that's been impacted by the criminal justice system. Slavery never left. It just metamorphosized itself into what we see today where it's turned into a business. And I just want to remind young men and women that this system exists and don't let it, don't let it get you. Because once it gets you inside, it's very difficult to get out of. You are a shining example of why state officials, DOC people, uh, government people, legislative people should come together and come to the realization that we cannot throw away our people because you were there. You was in a position right. where they, they threw you away and they were saying that you wasn't probably never going to be about nothing because they took away, they gave you so much time. But you are the example of why we should never throw away our people because you came home and did some amazing, extraordinary things. And you definitely can paint. I've seen some pictures. Uh, so I love uh, that you, you turned your art um, from your experiences and made it into uh, visual art for people to enjoy. So thank you for that, brother. Thank you so much, brother. So what is the single most important ingredient to true change? And how does one actually get there without getting in their own way and doing so? The ingredient is, and it's something that just comes from inside of us. you got to decide who you are. And, you know, I, everyone don't always know what their purpose is. I, I get that, right? And I'm not saying purpose career-wise, but I feel like we all have a purpose. And I, I want to challenge people to think about what that is and what they can do to make the world a better place than it was the day before. And so I think people should really think about, like, how they live their lives. I, my life was very difficult for most of, it, of my life, but I used to dream about what it could be. And you know, when I finally went to business school, my professors would say, yes, this is cute to, to dream, but, you know, I would want you to uh, do some applied dreaming. So it's like, all right, you dream a little bit, and then what you going to do tomorrow? And then we got to mm -hmm. think our ancestors, the people who, who put a lot of stuff and risked their lives to get us to where we are today. We can't squander that. And I'm mm -hmm. real big and I ask people often, what do you think? people will say about you when you're no longer here. When you're dead, what are they going to say? Mm -hmm. Or this person lied, or this person made a bunch of promises and never delivered, or this person just, mm -hmm. or are they going to say this person was loving, this person changed stuff in their community, this person was dealt a bad hand, but they never gave up, and they, and they were willing to build and, and do something dope and leave a legacy, and so I think about that. And so I want to encourage everyone to think about what your legacy is going to be. 
and then at the corner. That's what's up. An old head told me when I first came in, he said dissatisfaction is a prime motivator of change. And at first I didn't get it. And after 15 years straight of going to Supermax, going to uh, lockup, getting involved in all kinds of nonsense, I, wasn't, I realized I wasn't dissatisfied. Because if I was, I could have used that as the, the motivator for my change. I did get tired. And that's something that will happen eventually when you mature and start seeing that, you know, your purpose is something different. And you was put here for a whole nother reason. With that, brother, and finally, if anyone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about your organization, how do they reach you? I think people can uh, reach out to me through uh, my website, chriswilson.biz.biz. Also, on my Instagram handle, I'm, I'm active. You can check out my work. I'm painting. I'm traveling. I'm paying up sports cars and living my best life. Uh, that's Chris Wilson's Life uh, on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook and on LinkedIn as well, just Chris Wilson. That's what's up. Any other people or organizations you want to plug? I just want to give a shout-out to uh, to my foundation, Chris Wilson Foundation, all the people that work there uh, that work really hard every day, uh, that's doing good work. Uh, and for anyone that was you know, interested in the work that we do uh, that want to support or, or partner with us, it's uh, chriswilsonfoundation.com. For sure. I feel it. I respect it. I'm proud of you, my brother. I'll give you a call, you know what I mean, shortly because we do talk, you know what I mean, occasionally. I uh, haven't talked to you in a while, but, man, keep maintaining, keep striving, and making a way, man, where there is no way for the brothers to still down and those coming back out. That's right. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Stay up. All right, you too.